Stew here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewellery, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one, with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. <laughs> This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Now, this show works as a standalone interview, but I have spoken to Sarah Millican before, and if you'd like to, you can look back in the archive at episode number seven. Uh, I think some of the earlier shows briefly slipped off iTunes, but they're all back up there now. Uh, If you haven't already heard show number seven with Sarah Millican, then now's a good time to do so. Uh, Or you can just jump right in now with this one, recorded live at the Gilded Balloon in Edinburgh, in uh, 2013. Here's Sarah Millican. Hello. Thank you, Hello. Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Hello to you. How was your How was your five minutes hiding in the curtain there? Um, well, I sat down for a bit and then I realised it would give me buggy knees on my leggings. Um, <laughs> so I stood up really quickly, but they're still buggy, but it's fine. Okay, good. I shouldn't have drawn attention to it. But now the front row are checking them they're out. All they looking, look, they're all looking. They don't look too baggy. They're I also think. covered in cat hair. Oh, my God. You, my leggings are exactly what I am. You, <laughs> Baggy and covered in cat hair. You are covered in cat hair because you've just driven here from your house. Yeah. Because I you went. are doing a weird version of the Edinburgh Festival <laughs> where you treat it as a sort of jolly and turn up and do three or four nights. Is that right? It's not a jolly. Shut your face. Um, I go home on Sunday nights and for 36 hours and it's a four-hour drive each way. Okay. Um, and I get to cuddle my cats and sit in my house in the quiet where there are no flyerers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. These, See, these people, like, we get you, we get you. These people can't even imagine such a thing <laughs> as no flyers. It's lovely. It's really nice. It's, um, it's tiring, but it's totally worth it. Sure. And you're performing at The Stand this year? Yeah. Is that you? This is your first time at The Stand? No, no. Second time at The Stand. Okay. Yeah, I was at uh, The Stand on my third solo show. Okay. And this is my fifth. I spoke to a, a mutual friend of ours who will currently remain nameless um, and mm. uh, about their recent move from one of the big four or five venues to the stand. And they said it was like uh, leaving an abusive relationship to, for a more positive relationship at the stand. And only then did you realise that you'd been being abused. Wow, that is, that's harsh. That's quite it? harsh, isn't it? But the stand are well known for being like they're the only... They're, they're very the, cuddly. They're a year-round 
they're a year-round comedy club. Yes. And uh, and they give, I believe, a much more preferential deal to comics. Is that what were your reasons for for going to the stand rather um, than the the bigger venues? Well, because I have not really been loyal to anybody. Uh, I've just hoard myself around. Revelation number one, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I was at the Pleasance for my first year in the hut, and then my second year at the Pleasance courtyard beside, and then at the stand, and then at the assembly hall on the mound, and then back at the stand. So I'm not one of the main reasons because I'd already done that room, and I've done that room a million times because obviously we work sure. there on weekends and stuff as well, all the rest of the year, and uh, and because I wanted a fringe, I just I didn't want to do a big room suits mm. some people and I get to do it on tour and that's great and I love that but I just thought well I want a fringe I want a little room that's you know low ceiling and, and just 150 people so that's sure. what we decided to do and I wanted a stupidly wanted a really a relatively early time slot for me so that I could go out and see other shows and things as well I was entirely selfish this year and it's, yeah. I'm having a lovely time yeah. <laughs> that's what happens when you're selfish it's great <laughs> And is there is there an element to which you being at the stand and being in that smaller comedy club, is that because you're sort of peripherally aware that there is uh, an occasional thing that happens or a frequent thing that happens at the Fringe whereby comics with massive TV profile come and do a huge venue for loads and loads of nights and there's a sort of a sense among the rest of the comedians that you're like, oh, come on, mate, if you can sell out McEwen Hall twice a night for the entire month... That's taking up quite a lot of Yeah, punches. I think if you can sell a 1,200-seater in September, then you should do it in September and yeah. then leave the audience to everybody else in, in August, I think. I don't know. I don't I mean, I did I mean, I mean, did a 700-seater the last time I was here. The Assembly Hall of them had a 700. I did 17 nights because I didn't think I could sell out. So I did 17 nights, and Milton Jones did the same slot for the first week, so I did the second two and a half weeks. And then we put on extra shows at the EICC, four, four extra shows at the EIC, which is 1,200. Yeah. And I remember selling out, like, amazing, 17 nights at 700. And then we put on extra shows, and then I was back to, oh, shit, what if I don't sell these out? And it's terrifying. And then just a churny belly constantly. Does it thought, really? So it still has that yeah, effect oh God, on you? Always, even when until you're... the last one is gone. Okay. Oh, yeah, always feel sick And do you check sales. up along the way? Do you go, okay, how is it selling today? How's I always know. I've always, from day one of doing my first fringe, I've always known how many I was going into. So my first, when I was at the hut, my first year, I had five in my first show. And uh, don't laugh, that's really good. Yeah, that is, that is double the average Edinburgh audience, isn't it? That's yeah. very much, I was doing yeah. all right. Uh, and I had, so I had five and I knew three of them. Uh, <laughs> shut up. Um <laughs> But I still saw it. See, I, but if you walk out into an audience, I don't know if you need to know. I need to know how many I've got in. Because if I walk out and there's five in and I know there's five in, then I can go out and have a lovely time. But if I walk out and think there's 25 in and there's only five, it, it does make you feel a bit sick. You, you don't want your first beat on stage to be, oh. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the way I saw it, those five people on the first night of my first show took a punt. Mm-hmm. And those five, because they had all paid, even the three that knew me, they still had paid. And I still thought, it's seven, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm not stupid. Um, <laughs> 7.30 uh, on my, was my first show time. And I still found it incredibly flattering, if you look through the whole brochure, that it's 7.30 on that first night, five people picked me. And that's how I played the room. And that's how, that's how you should do it, I think. You don't, never look at the empty seats. You look at the people who've gone that's what I'm doing tonight. Mm-hmm. You, not, I mean, the show, not me. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe one or two of you. <laughs> I think, and I don't know if this is just because we go back a bit and I know you fairly mm. well, but you do seem um, 
amongst a lot of comics that I've spoken to on this show and sort of generally, you do seem for someone that is doing as phenomenally well as you are to still be really grounded in what's important to the fringe, what's important to other comedians, what's important to audiences. Well, because if you lose that, then you're taking, you're taking the mick, really. And also, I think... I, I've been on the receiving end, so I remember there was a huge show on, somebody who will remain nameless, but a huge venue on the night, one of the nights during my first Fringe, and I remember me and all of my friends, probably you included, had next to nobody in because mm-hmm. they decided to do 10,000, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I oh, I've just worked out how that okay. was, yeah. And, um, and I just don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the way the, I don't think that's the way people should be, but I don't think that's the way the Fringe should be. Sure. Okay, so it's it, so it, it's important to you to have that kind of face to face contact with your audience. Like, is it is it? Do you prefer playing a room like the stand where you can actually see the front row and you're that far away from them to a stage when you're you're miles away and they're a long they're way totally from different. They're totally different. Uh, I do. I like. I like. Like you know, sort of Hammersmith Apollo is. It's ridiculous to walk out onto the stage at Hammersmith Apollo and see three and a half thousand people. That is that feels ridiculous and mm. feels very flattering, but. It is a different, it's a different gig. Like on my first tour, we got up to doing sort of thousand seaters and then I'd had to rebook one because of the snow and it was in a 90 seater and it was really odd. It was in the Eustonoff uh, uh, studio in uh, Bath and it was very odd to have done thousand seaters and then go to a 90 and it was just different. I like them both equally. They're just different. But I just thought because I was doing the big venues on tour because we're doing, I don't do arenas, but we're doing good big theatres that it would be nice to do you know where I could see the whites of their eyes um but also I did it, it does have added danger because sometimes I have a bit of a dicky tummy before a show and at the stand you could totally fart and they could smell it yeah because <laughs> they're so close to you way in a theatre they would never know <laughs> so, and would you would you do would you do arenas is it a decision not to no, is it based just I don't purely want to on do arenas I don't it suits some people. It suits some people who are physical, and I don't even take the mic out the stand. I mean, you're flattered that I'm even doing that now. I normally leave the mic at the stand. I just, it's not, it's not for me. I just, mm-hmm. I've seen some comedy in arenas, and I just think I'm watching the screen. I might as well buy the DVD, and it suits some people, but it's not for me. And if, especially given the fact that I don't move at all, if you're running around the stage, then I can say there sure. is a benefit. You're not one of those lunging comedians, are you? I don't lunge. No, <laughs> I, I just think I'd worry that I wouldn't get up again. <laughs> so. Um, you mentioned, uh, okay, this is me bridging to something you said a moment ago about farting on stage. Now, okay. what that reminds me is that, and this is good, this isn't necessarily going where you think it is, but Aww. do you think, do you think that there is a portion of your audience that comes to see you based on your kind of public persona rather than your, your club gigs, who come to see you and are uh, affected by your use of I mean, farting wasn't a great example, but do you know what I mean? You're, you will happily swear on stage. You'll happily do fairly graphic sexual material. And do you feel that there are some people out there who are going, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this? Um, yeah, I think there probably are. Not as many as you'd think, though, because my I think my telly persona is, is quite close to my onstage persona. Because I think, especially with the TV series, we get away with being quite rude because <laughs> yeah. it's 10 o'clock and because I look like this. They're like, she's not going to be rude. Oh, she's got a flowery dress on. She's not going to be rude. So I get away with quite a lot. And I think even on panel shows, I'm still quite rude and quite sweary, depending on which, if you're on Channel 4, you can, you know, swear as much as you like. So I think there's not that much of a gap. Um, But you do see sometimes, but it's not always, 
it's not sort of, oh, it's like, oh, like a surprise. Like they weren't expecting it to be that rude and hurrah that it is. That sort okay. of thing. So it's not always, a, it's not always disappointed. I mean, maybe, maybe they're just keeping themselves to themselves. Those <laughs> people who are appalled at my use of the C word on occasion. Oh, <gasps> um, but yeah, it's, I think it's close enough. I think it used to be a lot bigger gap, but since the TV series, it's, that gap's closed up a bit. Has it, been a, has it been a decision that you've actively made not to clean up your act in search of a wider audience? Because if you look at people like, um, like Bill Bailey, for example, who never used any bad language in, yeah. his, in his set, have you ever sort of considered that? Have you ever thought, oh, actually, that might appeal to more people if I, if I held back on the, on the language? No. Um, <laughs> I swear... I mean, I have to say, it doesn't look like you have. <laughs> I, it's never occurred to me. I do what I think is funny and people who like it come and people who don't like it stay away. That's fine. I think if I try, you can't second guess what an audience wants. I don't think you can ever. I think you do what you think is funny and you try it out and you try it out and you take sort of uh, confidence in how many times it works, that sort of thing. But I think if I tried to work out what an audience wanted, I think you're always too late. I think mm. you're better off just doing what you want to do and hoping that people sort of jump on board. Um so I know, and I, you know, some people think, you know, swearing isn't big or clever, but it's really fun. I love it. Um, I swear all the time. My family swear. I've always, I've always been, I've always been good at swearing. I'm quite good at it. Yeah. So why would, you know, it's, if it's a skill you've got, why wouldn't you use it? And I think, I think there's probably some element as well to which it, it filters your audience in that if people have a problem with swearing, do you think there's, they're the sort of people that you probably don't want at your gigs anyway? Well, I mean, you, you, you want an audience who are going to enjoy themselves. And if people are put off by swearing then and they've seen me swear on the telly, then they're probably not going to come to the live. So I think it, whatever you do on the telly should be a representation of what you are live, it, it, as close as it possibly be. So if I swear generally on in, in panel shows and things and they leave it in which they often do then that should filter out people who are sure. offended by swearing yeah you don't want anybody like i don't mind offending a whole room i'm happy to do that mm -hmm. but i never want to offend one person that's awful <laughs> that's it's a rule i've got so when we when when i first interviewed you for this show a year and a half ago now something like that um yes. We talked a lot then about your uh, your writing methods, and I don't necessarily want to retread old ground, but for the sake of uh, people who are new to you, um, I, I wanted to sort of focus on uh, your persona and how you are on stage and whether that is uh, a close approximation of you in real life or whether there are certain differences between you at home and, and the you that that, you, that we see on stage or the you that we're seeing now even okay. in, the, in this kind of half gig situation. I think... Um I, the first time I got on stage, I just, uh, I had a few rough ideas of what I was going to say and I said them and it was things that I was feeling at the time. And I think because I hadn't seen loads of stand-up, I've seen stand-up on the telly before I got up on stage for the first time, but I think those first few gigs and how you, why you decided to do stand-up, because a lot of people do stand-up, you'll know this, a lot of people watch loads of stand-up and then they go, oh, I could do better than that. And then they get up and they are sometimes a little bit like their hero until mm. that, they shed that skin and become themselves. And I hadn't really seen, I'd seen like two two three stand-up tours i'd see jeremy hardy sean hughes and jackady and that's all i'd seen i'd never seen i never i didn't even know that comedy clubs existed i don't think so i when i got up on stage that was just me it was a polished version of me but still just me and what what do you mean by polished what what aspects of like you i wasn't had just you talking off why? the top of my head i had sure, um, preparation I okay okay but so it was you saying stuff that you'd written that you thought would be funny yes and so what decisions were those that you'd that you'd made about what stuff you would say and what stuff you wouldn't. I try to say funny things and try not to say not funny things. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but you don't always know, but you can hazard sure. a guess. 
Sure. I mean, do you think, would you say... <laughs> Sorry, Stu. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to be toyed with, I enjoy that, as oh, you know. that's good to know for later. Well, I think, I suppose what I'm getting at is, do you feel that you found your voice earlier? Is that, is that an idea in comedy that you appreciate, yeah. the idea of finding one's voice? And I think and because you... I didn't have another voice already come, do you know what I mean? I, I was just sure. me, because I didn't have anybody to go, oh, I'm, I'm a bit like them, or, I, you know, or, or anybody to um, idolise so much that you wrote material that was similar to theirs. Sure. Because all it was, I was going through a divorce and I wrote some stuff sort of helped me get through it, I suppose. And I just thought if a room of people are laughing at this, then that made that easier to deal with. And that's how I started doing it, because I just felt so sort of broken and alone, uh, regardless of the fact that I had good family and friends around me, that when I got up on stage and said, he was a proper dick the other day and had a couple of examples, and people all went, ha, 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 ha. It was like they were saying, yes, he is a dick. <laughs> and that was ace. <laughs> I'm being totally brutally honest. Yeah, no, I mean, we shouldn't be as brutally honest. No, that's what I'm after. I, I, funny, I, I read a, a, an interview that you did, I think, with The Independent, where you were talking about how you'd seen a counsellor over the time mm. of your divorce. And at one point, she, you'd said something and she said, oh, that would probably make a good joke. <laughs> yeah. Was that now? I didn't know. At, at what point? In, were you already a comedian by, that, by the point of that example? I've done a handful happened? of gigs. Okay. And uh, and she knew that. And she had sort of, I think she was quite pleased about what I was doing. Um, she said it wasn't something that she recommended to everybody. Just to like, why don't you try doing stand-up comedy? <laughs> <laughs> but you see, I wasn't a drinker and I'm not, uh, I'm not, a, what time is it? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm not a slag. Um, <laughs> so I'm not a drinker and I'm not a slag. So that's kind of what people often do when they split up with somebody is they either sleep around or they get drunk a lot. And I didn't have those options, didn't want to do those options. So I got on a stage and told strangers about it. But I think she saw it as, she, I think she saw how much I was enjoying it and how it was an, uh, an outlet that sure. was, um, was actually quite therapeutic in itself sure. to sort of get stuff off your chest. Okay. But also make, because she, she once said to me, um, which I think is the best, probably the best single thing anybody's ever said to me. She said, your textbook, and which might sound like a horrible thing to say to somebody, but basically she was saying that everything that I, I thought I was the only person that had ever been dumped sure. in the world. And she was basically saying that everything you're feeling is normal. And so therefore to get on a stage and tell tell stories about that and have people laugh in recognition, mm-hmm. sort of hammering that home that I was just the same as everybody else, which sure. is good to hear. Can you envisage of, uh, of who you might be if it weren't for stand-up comedy? Um, if it went for divorce, I'll give you an example, I would still be exactly where I was. I would probably trying to write, because I used to write, so I used to write short plays and things, but that probably would be maybe um, a small success of getting the odd play on every now and again, because I had had a play on and a few short plays on. Um, and I would be uh, in a job I hated, and I would probably be in a flat that I... It was damp because that's the way we were and I don't think I, I don't think I would have moved on I think I needed to hit rock bottom before I sure. bounced back up again okay so with you with respect to your 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 persona on stage do you think there are differences between how you behave on stage now and how you behaved when you first started out and what, what are the, what are those differences I still don't know what to do with my hands I've, nobody's ever told <laughs> me um, that's why mostly why I keep my the mic in the stand because I'm very when I talk to people I'm very uh, I, I use my hands a lot whereas when you're holding the mic and then somebody told me first early on hold the mic and then hold the cable with the yeah. other hand okay now I know what to do with my hands and then I did a gig where it was um, cordless and I was like what <laughs> I do I do with my hand? Um, 
so uh, and I find if I keep the the mic in the, so I, so that's one example. Um, I I'm better with people sort of responding to things I don't mean laughter I mean if anybody and I don't mean heckles because heckles are always horrible but I mean if somebody wants to join in in a fun way I'm better with that because I always used to panic and think um like it was like like you were all one person and I'm one person and if one of you chips in then I'm gonna you know I'm not gonna handle this but then I realized it's only ever one person chipping in and I've talked to one person loads um (laughs) I do it all the time. I'm doing it sort of now. Um, so I realised then that that so early on that was terrifying okay. um, of not knowing what to do with that. And now I'm better at that. Just things that you experience, sure. and the more you experience them, the better you become at handling them. Sure, but but with regard to your your actual personality on stage, right. do you think? I suppose what I'm getting at is, do you find it easier to write jokes now because you know? almost the character that you're writing them for. Yeah, but it's it's not a character. You know me, this is just me. It's just this. No, I wish there was a character. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> and they go, people go, oh, you wear those clothes. That, that must be for fun. No, it's because I like them. Um, but is, but do you but do you feel more kind of confident in expressing who you are that you, yes, can, that you can write? I feel ballsy. I always yeah. felt quite ballsy, though. I think just getting up on stage in the first place and talking to people about my divorce when, when the, like the, my first five minutes, but the first two and a half minutes were just done to silence. Just I was just doing your very it. first gig. Yeah, five, okay. I did five minutes. Uh, first two and a half minutes, total silence. Then I did a joke about my dad that went from silence to the whole room, just a woof of laughter. And I think mm. other people would think, "Oh, I never want to do this again. This is terrifying." And my mm. first thought was, "Well, that bit's got to go to the front." <laughs> <laughs> Because the first two and a half minutes are clearly shit, um, but I think I think I know I think I know better what works. Okay. Uh, I my hit rate is better than it was in the beginning. So mm-hmm. if I try out ten minutes it, in the old days when I tried out ten minutes of material, I remember doing to get my ten to my twenty. So instead of doing a ten minute spot to get twenty minutes of material, I did um, the Chillingham Arms in Newcastle's new material night that uh, Gavin Webster used to compay, and I did that every Tuesday night for eight weeks in a row. And I would do like out of ten minutes that I'd and often written it on the train on the way there. There'd be a minute that worked and was perfect, and then two minutes that needed tweaking, three minutes that worth you know worth having another go at and seeing what I could do with them, and then the rest was dirge. And now I would say if I try out ten minutes, I would say seven is there sure. already, and that's just because I know how to write a joke now. So this is Sarah. Now, obviously, I'm a huge fan of her work and of how much she keeps caring about the circuit and caring about up and coming comedians, new comedians. She's just a delightful person, obviously a genuinely excellent comedian, and she really not only cares, but puts the effort in to make that care known and actually have some function in the industry. I think she's she's not just a, a great act, but I think I can honestly say she is a great thing to happen to comedy. So we have been a bit top-heavy for male comics on the show recently. I'm aware of that. Um, I've got Susan Kalman and uh, Claudia O'Doherty coming up. Those are already in the can. And uh, plenty more besides in the new year. So we should be getting a rather more even spread soon, which I think is a good thing. Uh, I've been enjoying your hashtag Hacksnacks. Remember, you can tweet at ComComPod with the hashtag Hacksnacks and a photo of your depressingly frequent road food when you're gigging or just driving through the night. I know this won't apply to every one of you, but it's, it's kind of fun anyway. Let's have some more of them. And thanks again for your donations. Of course, every little helps with the cost of running the show and, and recovering from the cost of the live show at Edinburgh. You can donate at comedianscomedian.com by just clicking on the PayPal link and selecting any amount. Any amount you care to donate, completely fine by me. I'm continually stunned by people's generosity and very grateful indeed. Uh, You can give me a pound a show, 20 quid for the lot, or just a cheeky fiver and blow me a kiss in the comments box. Whatever you like. And if you can't afford anything, that's fine too. 
Just take a second to rate the show on iTunes, if you please, or simply share your favourite episode with a friend. That's just as important to me. Thank you. Um, just one additional point on that front, actually, just a technical thing. PayPal seems to have huge problems with setting up regular payments. It gives you a box to tick, and a lot of people have been reporting. I'm getting lots of emails saying people have tried that, and it's not actually working. So best not bother with that. I'll try and get some sort of system set up in due course, because a lot of people have been uh, attempting that or asking about it. Just the regular one-off donations for now, that's fine. Regular, I meant standard, not frequent, but it's up to you. Email me at comedianscomedian.com or tweet me at comcompod. But for now, let's get back to the brilliant Sarah Millican. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Do you think that you manage uh, which, like manage in the sense of you make decisions about which elements of you we get to see? So explain, I don't know what you mean. Well, like I was going to talk to you about cake. Because okay. I know we spoke to you about this before, that it frustrates you that you're referred to as the comedian that talks about cake. Yes. Um, do you then make decisions about whether or not to do a joke that might involve cake? In your latest show, in Homebird, there's a joke about the biscuit room. There's a yes. joke about the different meals throughout the day, you know, is, which can work yes. at either time, and a milky bar, whatever the fuck I like. Yes. Those are quite kind of cakey jokes. And did part of you, when you wrote them, did you kind of go, is this sort of playing into the hands of someone else's image of me? No, because sod them. Uh, I... I try not to, like, if, if I have to do a two-minute spot or a five-minute spot somewhere, I would try not to do cake stuff in that because you don't want a telly spot for people because that's the, the telly is where people see you the most. And I wrote probably about five or six jokes about cake ever and they've just appeared on everything. But then, and that's absolutely fine because it's, you know, it's nice to be known as anything. It could be worse, it could be, it could be known as, God, there's lots of things I was known as at school um, <laughs> that are, this is much better. But I, I try not to do any weight jokes in the show. I don't think I've got I've got one, but it's more about the response to okay the the I don't want to spoil it, but the uh, so there's one one joke that refers to my weight, but not necessarily in a bad way. I've turned that around just because I I think the self deprecation, which is I'm happy to be self deprecating, and that's how I always am, and I how I am in person. But then I sometimes think if people are attacking me for one thing, why am I attacking myself as well? That seems a bit ridiculous. Okay. And also, I don't think there are people that look, there aren't that many people who look like me, as in sort of a quite relatively normal shape and aren't wafer thin mm. on the telly. So why am I doing myself down? Well, this, you, you, in your current show, you do, and I don't remember the exact line, but you sort of have a, a pop at uh, women's magazines. Yes. 
So what, what's the actual, what's, what's the bit? Can you just oh, remind us just for people who aren't... Um, well, you I'm need, not going to do it. No, well, you, well, you, do you, do it. you didn't um, use up the gags, but... Oh, it's just about the list of things that they expect us to do to ourselves. Sure. And it's all about the physical things, all the different things, all the, you know, sort of... Okay. Uh, all the, and how women's magazines are fixated on what we look like rather than what we do and what we think sure. and what we believe. Sure. So, like, if I on stage do some material about women's magazines... It, there's a certain amount where there's a certain and it's, it's not actually genders maybe myself isn't the best example but what I mean is do you have to consider that you might be starting a fight with women's magazines because you're so in the public eye and part of your fame kind of I imagine there have been articles written about you in women's magazines mm. do you Some have exclusive to, ones that I've never spoken to the journalist yeah sure <laughs> well exactly exactly but do you do you need to because I, I have a friend who is quite famous and who said to me Ooh. that if you well Sorry. thanks <laughs> Another friend, Sarah, I've been cheating on. Um, oh, I didn't well, think it was no, me. No, 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 I know, I know. I know. I just quickly made the decision Can not to name is? them. Is it Elton John? It is Elton John. Excellent. Um, so EJ... Oh, somebody believes him. EJ and I were chatting. We absolutely weren't. No, what I mean is that uh, there's a, a female friend of mine who's got quite high profile, and I remember her telling me about if you, uh, if you did... I think her take on it was that if you ever did an OK magazine at home with shoot and took the money for that then the women's magazines regarded you as fair game because right. it's almost like you'd said, I'm playing the game now okay. because you've got money for nothing for basically being pho photographed in your house. Okay. So it, that made me think, wow, that's, that's almost quite creepy there that the, the, the journalists might kind of go, if you stick your head above the parapet in a certain way of my own decision, you know, they, they get to decide what way that yeah. is, then they might go, right, we can have a go now. So do, what is your relationship to women's magazines, do you think, to so that area So you think that because I say I don't really buy them anymore, that they think then that they can have a go at me? No, I'm just wondering... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah call it that, call it that. <laughs> or, or, or do you feel like, would you like to be would you like to be harsher in your appraisal of them and you think, oh, if I do that, that might be a problem? Or do you just never no, think No, I that? just do what I want and I... Um, I think, and they'll do what they want. I think that's the point of that, you know, some sometimes you do an interview and it goes really well and it's really it's the same with newspapers you do an interview it goes really well it's really nice and you read it and you you know I'm sometimes I read them just to see you know and you read them and you go oh that's you know that's a fair representation of what happened and sometimes it's not and sometimes there's an article that's been sort of put together from loads of other articles that you you look and you say I don't remember talking to them and that's happened so they do whatever they want so therefore I should be able to do whatever I want and if I don't think me saying that I don't really I don't buy women's magazines anymore sure. and I'm not saying that they're all at no point do I say that they're all shit because they're not there is the odd one or the odd writer in within a magazine that you think oh I like what she says or I like what he says mm -hmm. but I find when I flick through a magazine I always feel bad so sure why would I do that anymore sure so I stop doing it okay so I can so I'm happy to say that and then if that has repercussions those repercussions would either be that they do what they want anyway which is good which is, or that yeah. they do what they want anyway which is bad and sure. regardless I have no control over it so at least okay. I get to say my bit sure you do you think that you are one of the most 100 uh, one of the 100 most powerful women in Britain as a, a survey recently said For have you seen that hour, yes. was it women's hour yeah yes. you're 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 one degree more powerful than the director of liberty uk apparently wow, you're ahead of shami chakrabarty on the list doing quite well yeah is it it's not i didn't think it was is it in order it's not in order oh i it? assumed it was in order oh, but well know. it says at the top know. it says number one the queen so i assumed the ones after that were in order maybe she demanded that yeah, maybe she did Otherwise, she won't come on woman's hour. <laughs> or maybe you're all equally powerful. Maybe you're as powerful for the Queen. And if you all gang up together, then there's a... I'm not on any coins yet, which is disappointing. <laughs> yet, ladies and gentlemen. I'm 38, though. There's still time. She's really old. Um, 
but do, she do, has do, a face on coins for a long time. Um, do you consider I, yourself powerful? Do you consider yourself influential? Or is that sort of stuff, is that nonsensical? Or do, what's think your reaction to I that? think you take it as, uh, it's very flattering. And that's how you take it. I think uh, any polls uh, are, you know, decided by some people that aren't necessarily everybody. So I think, I don't know, it's tricky. I, I found it flattering. I found it a surprise, but it was flattering. But I still think they're looking at sort of, so they're look. It, they're not looking at like um, sort of MPs so much as I mean, obviously there were MPs in there as well, but they are looking at different categories of people, and they're looking at people in the in the public eye who aren't going to be uh, who are. If you did a list of the t- the hundred most powerful women and you didn't recognise any of them but the Queen, mm-hmm. how much press coverage would that get? Sure. Okay. But there would be 199 of, you know, people who are working in all sorts of areas, sure. but maybe not necessarily recognisable to the public eye. Sure. But do, do you recognise that you're that you have influence? Do you think if you talked about I tell you why I'm asking this is because we uh, I used to do the warm up for Loose Women, as you know, and you've been a, a panellist on Loose Women. Yes. And I remember thinking they to myself, you. if so, they those, did not. Those older ladies. We. Uh, <laughs> We got on well, and uh, <laughs> later I'll be telling you in what order. No. Um, the, uh, <laughs> sorry, that's stuff. I was lazy. Um, totally Jane first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wants to know now. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Just press on. Um, the, uh, the reason I ask is because I always thought if someone like Jane McDonald, say, stood up and said something public about, uh, about immigration... It said something positive about immigration. I or, or said good, something good positive. Clarification thing. Yeah, well, well, yeah, that's another story, which we never mind. Um, but if she said something positive about uh, getting women of a certain age to vote, say, or if she said something political, I think a lot of people would listen to Jane McDonald because they feel they have a relationship with Jane McDonald. Right. So people who are in the public eye in a kind of light entertainment way, I think, could be perceived to have a sort of influence. Are you aware yes, of that? Do you it, feel any responsibility to involve yourself with the world outside of comedy? I think my job is to make people laugh. And I think, I don't know. I don't, I'm not very political generally. And maybe I should be more than I am. But I think, I think whoever wants to, to stand forward and say, I believe this, then all power to them, provided obviously their opinion is a good one um but i don't know but, that but that's... then but how do we know which opinion is a good one if you're oh, if you, you don't do, participate you do. in it? um i don't know i don't i just it doesn't feel very me but i don't know maybe i'm on you know i've only been doing this it's not long in my career this is only eight years i think mm-hmm. so i think right now i'm happy with how things are going but i don't feel I don't. I certainly don't feel a pressure. I I have an interesting uh, idea of pressure. Uh, I think you have to accept the pressure that's put on you. I don't think if you don't accept it, you don't feel the pressure. So because I, I get a lot of pressure on me from all different areas, and I just refuse to accept it. And I because I think it that's where madness lies. Mm-hmm. If you take the pressure. Was it ever Was it ever problematic being on Loose Women? Were there any problematic elements of how? Again, I'm asking this because a presenter on it who shall remain nameless at one point said, I found it very difficult sometimes to work to that audience because at one point, one of the presenters said, uh, why aren't we talking about the elephant in the room? This country's full. We should close the borders. <gasps> and the audience in the room cheered. Uh. And I then had to go on and entertain the audience in the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, oh, now it's an ad break. Hi, everyone. I no, found that... I didn't know that. Okay. I found that very problematic because it, it, it seemed to me that there's, a, there's quite a... 
uh, a sort of Daily Mail-ish feel to that show sometimes. Is that anything you ever came across or is that? No, because I think if you, somebody told me that the, the girls are in like an order. Um, so you've got the host, obviously. Sure. And then you've got uh, generally, generally there'll be a nice, like a soft, nice, they're all nice, but a soft one. And then you've got a spiky one. And then you've got a mad old aunt. <laughs> and that's yeah, everyone here has just filled in the gaps yeah. and you're all correct you're all correct so, so yeah Colleen Nolan yeah Sally Lindsay yeah me was generally sure. on the second after the host sure and then you've got your Janet Street Porter your Carol McGiffin yeah and then you've got your Denise Welch and your Sherry Hewson and, sure. your, and your Jane McDonald your slightly mad old aunt on the end and I think they never in any way you see the only time because we always have a meeting we used to have a meeting first and you talked about everything and the only time a subject was ever um, past was if we all agreed on something because that's not that's not a discussion program mm -hmm. so it was better that we had opposing views but you okay. were never told what your view was you always had your own opinion so okay. I never saw any of that or I really liked it I had a nice time on there I sort of I miss the girls especially um but um but I, I really I really enjoyed it. Well, I must have just done the episodes where it was talking about the aren't men rubbish and sure. uh, the stories. I believe of at one point someone said, uh, I think it was Denise Welsh said, yeah, because people are drinking too much water these days, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and they're not flashing their boobs enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you, can I ask you, have you seen, have you seen Bridget Christie's show this yes. year? Yes. It's incredible, isn't it? I love it. Isn't it great? Yeah, it's really good. Um, there, are, there is a kind of, a, and you never know whether particularly when a fringe is still ongoing. It's easy for uh, kind of uh, columnists or journalists, what have you, to kind of pick a thing and go, oh, this year the fringe is all about this. Yeah, well, there's got to be an angle, hasn't there? Yeah, they've, yeah, they've there's got to be an angle, even if it doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah. reflect. Because you can't just say, wow, all the comics seem to be in really high spirits and having a smashing time. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's not, that doesn't sell newspapers. Sure. I, I think what the what they've, what ha I've heard said about this fringe is that, oh, this fringe is all about feminism. It's all about new wave of feminism. Bridget Christie, Nadia Kamil. Do you do you consider yourself a feminist? Do you have oh any position God, on feminism? Oh, my God, 100%. Okay. Uh, I, I'm astonished that any woman who doesn't, I really am. I, yeah, I think I've got quite a feministy vibe in, in the middle of mine. Um, I, oh, you're groaning there. There's a lady at the front is groaning at the prospect of somebody being a feminist. Get out, get the fuck out. Um, I, uh, I'm astonished why anybody wouldn't want sort of equal rights. I don't know why. Why would anybody? Oh, no. Oh, I'm not a feminist. I don't understand. Um, I think Bridget's, uh, I saw I saw uh, Nadia's show as well. And I think it's great. I, th I think that because Bridget's been, had feminist shows for a few years, mm -hmm. but they've been disguised. Yes. And you get it when you're in there, but that's never on the blip. Sure. But this year she's just gone, I'm doing an hour about feminism and she's selling out a quarter past, uh, 10 past 11 on a morning. And it's wonderful to see. Is that anything you, you could ever see yourself pursuing? Would you be interested in moving beyond? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely an area that's rich and there's plenty there's plenty of scope for. I think the, the, the trick that Bridget has really nailed is dismissing anything that is she feels powerful about but isn't funny. She still made it really funny. Sure. And I think that's why she's really nailed that hour yeah. because every single thing that she says in it, and if she's even found a way of, I don't want to spoil it if anybody's going to say it, but she even found a way of looping in really heavy yeah. jokes, yeah, a really heavy subject matter, but still by making them funny mm -hmm. without lightening them. And are you, are you still pushing yourself to find new ways of being funny? Or do you think that you have kind of, you've found the way that you're funny and you're happy to keep mining that? I was well, going to say mining that furrow, which is quite yeah. wrong. Uh, I found, it's three, three things I do in this show that I've never done before. I get angry on stage there's a little bit of music which I've never done before. And I tell 
a story that only has a punchline at the end, but none throughout, which terrifies me every time. Sure, that's the poem I, story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there are three. So I, I think I am sort of. It's, it's almost like I've worked out what I do, but then I'm. I mean, so I'm. I'm one room in a house. This is what I do in comedy. But then I'm opening other doors and going, oh, I could do that. Oh, mm. And I like f- the anger on stage, which is the feministy bit, because mm. I, it, it, it's there every night. I feel furious every mm. night and I've never had that before and I really like it it's really brings that bit sort of to life I think okay um could you, just on the on the subject of opening doors and sort of moving on what where does where can you see your career going next now that you're really at the height of your powers you've got your own tv show you can do tours you can come and do fringe shows uh, with, with the same show or whatever um and knowing you as I do I'd be amazed if you didn't have some sort of five-year ten-year Fifteen you, then year you plan. would be amazed. I don't. I have. I want to be consistent, and I want my audience to come back and still. I want every show to be as good or as or as good as or better than the last, and that is the same whether it's TV or stand up. So it's about consistency, but also I'm more. I'm trying to be more balanced because I've worked like a bastard for six years, mm. and with very little time off and very little of anything outside of work and I'm much is trying to focus more on a balance now so I can mm-hmm. have a little bit of time at home which I think does actually make you write more and write better and it makes you a more well-rounded person and so that you when you write jokes it's not because you know what you know it's like sometimes you're just writing jokes about you know what it's like when you're in a hotel or you know what it's like when you're stuck in traffic sure. and most of the audience are going occasionally but not every day <laughs> and you realize that you've done 25 minutes on travel lodges um and you maybe need to I don't know see your friends uh, <laughs> that might be nice. Okay. So I'm, yeah. So I don't. I think consistency is what I'm aiming for. Do you I, still? Do you? Do you have goals though? Do you have? Do you have? A, given that like a, what, a goal oh. of many comedian is, comedians is to have their own show. Tick. You've done that. Yeah. Have you got kind of other kind of long way in the distance kind I of? Want to be on a like, coin. Um, <laughs> 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 um, I've I've sort of done the things that I really want to do so now I think I can afford to be maybe occasionally some more creative I could I quite fancy writing a play or that sort of thing so some things that aren't necessarily big but Mm -hmm. I now have a little bit of power behind my name that I could get things made whereas six years ago I couldn't um so it's it's about keeping myself interested in so making everything creative uh being consistent so that the audience come back and still have a lovely time and keeping a balance so that I don't go crackers sure. and getting on a coin. Um, notes, fuck it, let's do notes. Yeah. Five, I'll start small, five. If it's, uh, if it's all right with you, I'd like to uh, open the, to the floor. If anyone has any questions for Sarah, then feel free to ask them through me. Um, if, only for the sake of the recording. I don't mean I'm, gonna, I'm not going to edit out the naughty bits, um, but uh, I'll need to repeat them for the recording. What normally happens is there's a slightly eggy moment now while everyone goes, oh, have we got to, have we got to join in? So <laughs> I'll ask another question while you're having a think. Um, do you consider yourself to be an alternative comedian? Um, it's yeah, that's interesting. I think I'm an alternative because I think I still think mainstream as in, uh, you know, seventies, uh, you know, multiple sort of a bag of jokes that they all shared that none of them wrote, which is what mainstream comedy is to me. Sure. Um, but I understand that there's an alternative now, which means that either they're alternative, alternative, and I am alternative, mm-hmm. or they are alternative and I in mainstream because that other section that I understand to be mainstream does no longer exist but I think mainstream 
it depends on how you look at it. It's not a bad thing to be. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I think if you say people always would want to be alternative rather than mainstream, wouldn't they? But I, yeah. I'm all right with yeah. mainstream. If mainstream means that I get nice smiley audiences, then I don't know. I, I'm not alternative in. If you look at some of the comics that are up sure. here, you're not challenging your audience, are you? Do you think I you're think ch- I am? I don't think it's slop. No, no, no. I'm not, okay. Well, that's. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not suggesting that to not challenge them means it giving what them slop. Challenging you means. It, sure. If, if you well, go on. No, no. I think it's tricky because I I enjoy watching alternative alternative. I'm going to call it that. Sure. People like. Tony Law or that, that yeah. do you know what I mean? Really yeah. kind of... I love know. him. I love, because I love watching either people who can do um, observational comedy, which is what I would say that I do, really, really well. I love watching that. Really just people who are, you know, way out of my league and are amazing at it. Or people who do something that I can't do. That's the, the two, that's what I see when I'm up here. Either somebody's doing something amazing, but it's in my sort of area, or somebody who's doing, like Tony Law, somebody who's talking for an hour about something that wouldn't even enter, ever enter my head. Sure. Um, I, I do love watching him, but I don't think that what he does is sort of, it's tricky. It's, I think what he does is brilliant. I think he's an incredibly funny man. He's incredibly creative, but I don't see that I am lesser sure. because I do stuff that is more recognisable. Okay. Let's do that. Sure. So would you, that make sense? So absolutely. But would you, would you consider yourself then an, primarily an artist or an entertainer? Oh, I see an artist pids for me. Um, I think. I think. <laughs> nice sidestep. <laughs> well, but I think an, somebody who calls themselves an artist is also a wanker. <laughs> so let's say I'm an entertainer then. What the? Uh, I don't know if the recording will pick up the hooray from the audience there. <laughs> Excellent. Um, if we do have any questions uh, from the audience, do feel free to put a hand up and then I'll, if you ask Sarah, I'll repeat it. The lady over there. Have you ever considered doing uh, entirely single sex audiences? Uh, no, and it would be really awful, uh, <laughs> I suspect. I've done gigs where there's been, you've done the gigs like this, where sometimes it's just a hen night gig. So there's, you know, they, it's open to everybody, but it happens that at that weekend club in Liverpool, Manchester, Leicester, wherever, there are uh, 200 women and 50 men, and it's hard work. And equally, I've done gigs where it's mostly men. And it's hard work. I think what you want is a mix like this. So you want a mix of gender, you want a mix of age groups, you want a mix of backgrounds, and that to me is the best audience. So I think an audience of all women, I don't. I think it, I mean, it might work. It might be fun as an experiment, but I don't think it's something that mm. I would do regularly. I, I did that. Well, I mean, that, that doesn't really crop up ever on the circuit. No. I, I did uh, an entirely female audience once on a television program of which some of you may have seen the first episode, um, and uh, it was weird. It was genuinely weird. It didn't. It didn't. It kind of works. Because it doesn't it was... feel like it needs to be representative of what's outside and it's odd if it's not, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. But uh, nice question, thank you, love. Would you do a show like Jason Cook's? Go. Uh, you mean like a sitcom, yeah, a telly. Uh, <laughs> it's very harsh, isn't it? Go, 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 go. Um, no. Uh, there we go, carry on. No, um, <laughs> I might at some stage write a sitcom, but I'm not an actress. I'm awful. 
um, I tell you, can I tell you a tiny story? Go on. I uh, I went for an audition. I've only had two auditions ever for acting things, and uh, and oh wow! And uh, the second one, the first one was uh, bad. Uh, the second one, it was to for a sketch show, and the person that I was to be playing opposite, I knew. So they said, oh, this is uh, this is uh, Mark, and he's uh, changed his name uh, really quickly, and he is uh, he would be playing your boyfriend in this uh, sketch, and you would be the girlfriend. Okay, and it was a sketch where you were. Um, I was he was leaving and I was begging him not to go and I read it because I can't do any other voices or accents or anything and I read it and said please don't go and she the director stepped in and went no 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 um you could drop to your knees you know you could I mean if you want to cry you could do that and you think this is a comedy sketch it's not very bloody funny um <laughs> and I leaned forward and I went please don't go and that was just, just well and she said why aren't you putting more into it and I said oh she said, I don't really like her and she said what do you mean I said she's a doormat <laughs> And this is the problem. I'm not very good at doing something on stage or on tell you anything that I don't believe. I think well, everything I say on stage uh, in my shows is, I would say 99% true. There might be tweaks for funny. Sometimes you change the wording slightly so that it gets a bigger laugh. But generally, everything I say has happened has happened. And for me to then be this doormat of a woman, please don't leave me. Oh my God, I wanted a stabber in the eye. Um, <laughs> So I can't, I can't do it. So I think that's, so I might write a sitcom for other amazing actors to be in it, but I don't think I'd ever be in a sitcom unless I was maybe, you know, like Alfred Hitchcock was like, uh, he was always in the background. I could like rub benches in the background in a tabard. <laughs> I might do that. So see if you can spot us. <laughs> yeah, it would be lovely time to reveal you've been doing that for the last five years. Yes, in all of the soaps. Yeah. <laughs> Just occasionally looking at the camera. What or who is the uh, biggest influence in, in your comedy work? And do you mean uh, when I first started or do you mean now? Oh, both. 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 Oh, double question. <laughs> I think you'll have one and fucking happy, happy with it. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm swearing a lot. Um, uh, I think when I first started, I w hadn't really watched a lot of comedy. So I don't think I really saw somebody. I mean, I used to watch Victoria Wood and I adored Victoria Wood. So she was probably my best representation of a funny woman uh, or a funny person. Um, but I don't think I'm anything like her. So I don't think she influenced me in that way. She she probably influenced me in that she made me laugh and I realised that it might be nice to make people laugh. But there was such a gap between watching her on the telly as a kid and starting stand-up at 29 that I don't think she was that influence. Um there's a woman called Kate Fox who is doing a fringe called Good Breeding, uh, a, a show at the fringe called Good, uh, Good Breeding, who is the person who pushed me on a stage for the first time. So I think she is a massive influence and still is now. And I adore the woman. And probably now, you see, I, I came to the fringe. One of the reasons I came to the fringe is to be inspired. So I've seen two shows a day while I've been up here and I am going to see like Tig Notaro and Janine Garofalo tonight. And I'm so excited about because I'm constantly inspired. So I think every time I see a comedian that's doing something that I just think, God, I, do you ever get that where you think, I wish I'd written that? Why I think mm. that? Why didn't I put that into such, you know, eloquent words? So I think I'm constantly inspired. And I think uh, for the first part would be uh, Kate Fox. Out of uh, out of your stand-up and your TV show, of which I have seen both, they are fantastic. By the way, which would you like to uh, do if you could only do one forever? I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it back to you. Which one do you like best? Stand-up. Okay, well, that's interesting. Next question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think um, if if I if my oh, is my life dependent on it? No, but if you could, like, if somebody said you could only do one. Who is the person? It's, it, sound, it sounded like Voldemort. I don't know who we've got in mind. <laughs> it's quite a posh person, and I don't, I don't respond well to posh people. 
if if my life depended on it, I could do one. It would it would probably be stand up because stand up is the the thing that made me leave my job, the thing that resurrected me from a horrible divorce. It was the thing that made me feel like a person again, and mm-hmm. I think I could never shun that. Mm-hmm. I just something I wanted to bring up because I listened to to uh, the episode that we'd recorded previously, and one of the things we were talking about was uh, little uh, life hacks, ways of dealing with things when you're on oh, the road. Yes. Your, one of yours was uh, 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 steaming a dress in a putting it in the shower. I thought everybody. Did. I was really surprised that you didn't know that. Everybody else knows that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, oh, Stu. Okay, well, that's all right. No, no, lots of, lots of comics who'd listen to the thing. Oh, really? And so they, said, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Just I, anything to avoid ironing. Oh, yeah, I wanted to show off to you that recently uh, me and Sarsky, my girlfriend, uh, whilst we were in Sheffield in the hotel there, we managed to make pasta inside a kettle. Oh, was yeah. it now? Okay, it was well, No, 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 we checked the kettle because I remember your comments about kettles. Oh, okay. Um, we, uh, we checked it, cleaned it, boiled water in it. It was fine. And what we did was we got the orange bag that holds together uh, clementines, you know, the orange net. Yes. If you buy satsumas, you put, I love so many of you are like, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, we put pasta inside it. It was tortelloni, so it was big enough to not go through the gaps. And we put it in there and you could boil it inside the kettle. Wham. I've heard too many stories about men weighing in kettles. I know you have, I know. That I could never put pasta in. Although I don't, I mean, it might, pasta's quite bland. Um, It might give it a bit of something, mightn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, I like, what have you added to this pasta stew? It's lovely. Little bit of hotel room kettle. (laughs) It's a good tip, though. Um, I've got uh, one more question. There's probably room for one more from the audience. How long did it take from uh, your first gig to giving up work and going full time as a comic? And what I was that started, process? Let's work it out. I started in September two thousand and five. Where are we now? Two thousand four. Thank you. It's good your piece here, isn't it? <laughs> and my name is. Um, <laughs> so I think a little over a year, which I think is quite short for a lot of people, isn't it? Is that quite short? Is that is that usual? I think that it, uh, nowadays that's very unusual, yeah. Because it was the December starting. after, the, the, like a year and a bit. So it was about a year and about four months that I decided. And somebody very smart said to me, it never feels safe. It always mm-hmm. feels a, like a little bit of a leap of faith. And uh, But I had signed to uh, a brilliant agent who is still my agent now. And I knew that she sort of had my back in that she was, we're on it, we're on it. We'll see how we get on. And I'd been working, I'd been doing as many gigs as I could. And I'd been working solidly really uh, and you and smashed the competitions lot. as well you came first or second in pretty much all of them it came second three times and then finally won one uh and curse you tom allen <laughs> tom allen i adore the man but he is my comedy husband because <laughs> yeah. he came first twice when i came second um so i think that helped because that helped me get an agent because the agents will generally come to the you know the um the finals of the competitions and so i'd been working a lot and i was only working part-time as well because i'd moved back in with my parents after getting divorced so i was only working 25 hours a week in my proper job for most of that year and a bit so i had a lot more time to spend on it so i did work really hard on it but then i think that is quite short but it was slightly over about a year and four months i think um a lot of uh, a lot of people ask comics about their advice for new comedians but um I wanted to ask, what would be your advice for comedians who've been going for a while? Comedians who've been going for 10 Stop. years. Stop. No. <laughs> no. Comedians who've been going for a while but are finding it hard to break through to the next level. See, I think it's different now, isn't it? Because we, when we started, it was, it, I think it was easier. I think there were a lot more gigs around. Um, I think persevere uh, if you are getting good responses from audiences obviously if you're not so I know some people do it and it's you know and you think I don't I I don't know how you stop and go 
I don't think it's going to work for me. I don't know how you do that because I think most people who do comedy just have this drive and determination that they think someday I'm keeping going, I'm keeping going. So I think it's it's about to it's it's about carrying on and it's about constantly trying to get better. And I just think don't give up. I think everything worth having is a bit of a fight. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got time for. Please join me in thanking Sarah Millican. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Sarah. I think what struck me most about that interview, which we, we covered a lot of topics and uh, it felt like a very different interview to episode seven. I'm very pleased with that. Um, but what struck me was how much energy she has for every aspect of the work of comedy. She's just a comic in whom everything matches up. Her skill, her talent, her industry and her obvious love for the art and the craft of comedy. I could listen to her all day. That's all for now, though. More episodes coming up next week and beyond. Do get in touch if you'd like. Donate at www.comedianscomedian.com if you have the time and the funds and, of course, the inclination. No pressure. It's up to you. And finally, I'm just going to do the little audible plug now. So if you're familiar with this, you can switch off now. Are they gone? Right. Just you left. Good. If you go to audible.co.uk backslash CC for Comedians Comedian and get a trial membership, then you get a free audiobook and I get a small kickback for your business. So it helps me whilst giving you a free thing. Today, I'm going to push Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. This has been mentioned by so many of my guests. Uh, And for Terry Alderton, remember last year, he mentioned it as the one book that really turned around his attitude towards comedy and and his whole career. Uh, Even better, the audiobook version of Born Standing Up has Steve Martin himself reading it to you, which is just a fantastic way to enjoy it. So audible.co.uk backslash cc and we're all winners. You get a free audiobook. You can cancel your subscription anytime you like, but you might find you you enjoy having one. uh, And I get a little something for the show. Thanks to Sarah. Thanks to James Lowie and to Nathan Wood, who co-produced this episode. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, That's all for now. Next week, someone else fantastic. Speak to you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.